What's up, everyone? Episode two of the 40 Minutes in Hell podcast. Jackson Heil, Ryan Gregware, your hosts, and whew, what a weekend it was. I mean, probably the four best days of the last year for me by a pretty wide stretch. Uh, I, I, I think I forgot how much I missed this tournament, Ryan, because like when you don't have it for over, I mean, it was nearly two years we were left without it, unfortunately. You really forget like how wild things can get. And right off the cuff, we get an overtime game in the first four between UCLA and Michigan State. The Drake-Wichita State game goes to the wire. Then the first game on Friday, we get overtime between Virginia Tech and Florida. And, I mean, it it, it was awesome. It was a great weekend. Kind of a dud to close it out on Monday where there really wasn't a single close game. But, overall, I have no complaints. But my overall takeaway, Ryan, thus far, and we're going to get into every region, is that I mean, how can you not love college basketball and how can you not love the NCAA tournament? It's the best time of year. It's the best tournament in all of sports. And I think these last four days this past weekend really showed that. Yeah, I mean, you talked about how you didn't realize, like, you know, since we had a year without it. I think that made me appreciate it even more because last year was such a bummer. Like, we expected to have it and then they shoot us in the heart. They cancel everything. Yeah. Obviously, you said best four days in the last year. I go two years because – the best four days every year. True. It's the first, you know, two rounds of this tournament. So it really was just an awesome four days, getting college basketball from, you know, dawn to dusk, upsets all over the place. My bracket's busted. I don't know about you. <laughs> but, you know, I just – I'm so appreciative that we were able to figure out and get a season underway and have this tournament here today. So what's weird is, like, my bracket isn't busted, but it's it's terrible, like, right yeah. now. Like, I – I think I'm like close to the bottom in a lot of my yeah my brackets, but going forward, I'm actually in really good shape because I still have my entire Final Four intact. Still have about six of my eight Elite Eight teams, I think. But overall, like I'm in pretty good shape right now. So we'll get into all the regions. My bets were terrible, by the way. The <laughs> best bets I put on this show. I, I hope you guys didn't listen to any of them, but because we're insane, because we are obligated to bring you content. We will be doing our best bets again. But let's get into the regions because I, I think we have to start with the Midwest because remember when I said I thought it was going to be pretty chalky towards the end? Well, the Midwest has been the anti-chalk. It's been marker. It's been crossing out a lot of names. And you look at what we have right now, Houston, Cuse, Oregon State, Loyola, Chicago. That's our Sweet 16 in the Midwest. And we'll preview that later. But how we got there is pretty remarkable. And I think the first game you need to talk about is Illinois, Loyola, Chicago on Sunday. Illinois is a popular pick. There's no secret about it. Um, And they kind of got screwed because I know we talked about it on this show, how Loyola, Chicago was pretty criminally underseated. And I thought Georgia Tech was too. And they played them pretty tough without Moses Wright. But that was a dominant performance from Loyola Chicago on Sunday. And it was the epitome of what I expected Illinois to be in this tournament, to be honest. I I didn't have them going to the Final Four. I thought that they had the toughest road to get to the Final Four. And I didn't think it was going to be Loyola Chicago to knock it out, but I thought it was going to be a war. And that's exactly what Porter Moser made it. And to be honest, my, my biggest concern about Illinois coming into this tournament was Brad Underwood. And I thought that there were games where he was going to be out coached. 
this game was clearly one of them. I mean, they had no answer offensively. It was so much isolation. Ball screen defense was a significant issue on the other end of the floor for Illinois. And on top of that, Cameron Crutwig was dominant. And that was going to be the toughest matchup for Illinois was could they handle Cameron Crutwig? Because as good as Kofi Coburn is, that's a miserable matchup for him because Crutwig is crafty. He's got excellent footwork. He's a facilitator. I mean, he does it all for Loyola Chicago. And they have so many other good players. I mean, I love Norris. I love what he can do to stretch the floor, really run an offense. Williamson was awesome as well. But Crutwig was the dominant force from start to finish. And Loyola Chicago cruised through this game. Like, there was never really a point in the second half. I think the closest Illinois got to was six in the second half, and it was immediately stretched back to eight. But, I mean, how can you not be impressed by Loyola Chicago right now? They were underseeded to begin with. They were top ten in the net and Ken Palm. And it was a tough matchup for Illinois, but they were outclassed and outmatched in this game. And that's really the simplest way to put it. Yeah, the way that I looked at this game, where it's like at the bottom where it shows the seed matchups, if you just covered those up and watched this game from start to the finish without having any knowledge going to the tournament, you would think Loyola Chicago was the number one seed. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, as you said, like, it literally was just dominating performance from the start to finish. Not that it was ever a huge blowout, but they were able to keep a great pace and just kind of put it on so much pressure on Illinois. Ayodisumu, he struggled. He only had nine points. You talked about Cam Crutwig. He's been kind of one of the stars of the tournament where he's becoming kind of a household name in college basketball, which I know guys like us who watch some of them this year, he's a name that deserves to be in that conversation because he's an awesome player. And just looking at Louis Chicago, obviously we can talk about the under seed, you know, number one in defense going into the tournament. But at the same time, Illinois is a number one seed and you have to take care of this, even if this team was underseeded you talked about you know Brad Underwood and why you didn't pick them to go to the final four I thought this really was the year that they could turn it around because of the talent and because how they looked going in you know they won 14 of 15 they looked so good they were able to win the Big Ten which we thought we'll get into later was by far the best (laughs) conference in college basketball but I have to give props to Little Chicago because they went in there they did it and just a really interesting some point during the weekend where they have the third highest title odds, you know, for the overall tournament. So like the, the, you know, the, the look that this is some Cinderella, like I've seen a lot of comparisons, some of the other Cinderella's in this tournament, this is a legit title contender. I don't think you can say they're a typical Cinderella. This is just a really good team that happened to get underseated, And it was, it was shown in the win versus Illinois. Yeah. This is a much better team than the one that went to the final four. I think, I mean, they have the experience, obviously, but I mean, that team from whatever year was it? Was it 2018? Yeah. Um, that team won three games by a combined four points to get to the Elite Eight and that where they eventually stampeded Kansas State. But they want the buzzer against Miami in the opening round. Um, Clayton Custer hits an unbelievable shot to beat Tennessee. And then they were able to survive against Nevada as well. But, like, this team is really freaking good. I mean, I love Crutwig. He was on that team as a freshman. Same with Williamson. But they're such a different team because they play defense. I mean, this is this is probably the best team defensively in the entire nation right now, I, I would say, at the very least. I mean, they're so disciplined. The game plan they had against Kofi Coburn I thought was terrific. And it was one that I said on the show, too. I think the biggest way to defend them is – you can't have a traditional big, which, listen, we can have the argument about Cameron Crutwig being a traditional big, 
But my main point is that, like, you have a seven-footer who strictly plays in the low post, and that's not Cameron Crutwig. But you're able to sag in, double Coburn every time he touches it. One of the big stats that I was actually stunned about, not stunned per se, I should say, but I didn't realize it was this low, was Kofi Coburn had four assists in the entire season going into that game. So if you double him and force him to get rid of the ball, Illinois is going to get in trouble. And that was the game plan. That was the plan that I thought Illinois, uh, excuse me, Loyola, Illinois, Loyola, Chicago, geez, I'm all over the place there, but Loyola, Loyola, Chicago should have went in with was that, and they did just that. And they took Coburn out of the game for large portions of this stretch. I mean, what I was really surprised with with Illinois was how Io DeSumo just didn't play that well. And it didn't seem like he was really able to make his imprint on the game, especially late, because um, they never really made that surge. It was a lot of Andre Curbelo down the stretch. Trent Frazier had an awful afternoon, which is tough. But I, I, I'm not surprised by this result whatsoever. Uh, I didn't have Illinois going to the Final Four, and I didn't think Loyola Chicago would beat them, but it doesn't surprise me that they ended up beating them. So, Loyola Chicago's moving on. They're going to take on Oregon State. How about the Conference of Champions, man? Bill Walton, we all should have been listening to him. Yeah. Four teams in the Sweet 16, and one of the biggest surprises of the tournament thus far, maybe the hottest team in the country is Oregon State, and they were able to take down Tennessee in the first round in a blowout, which, I mean, if you listen to us, I was all over that one. Uh, I wasn't buying Tennessee for a second, despite having two potential lottery picks. They can't score, and Rick Barnes is a disaster in the tournament and continues to be. So he's out. I was surprised by the Oklahoma State result. That that one did surprise me because I, I thought Mike Boynton's team was built enough to get to the Sweet 16 and take down this Oregon State team. But give a ton of credit to Wayne Tinkle and what he's been able to do with this Oregon State. He has them clicking. They are able to beat you in a lot of different ways, too, which I think is impressive because they have perimeter threats and Ethan Thompson and Jared Lucas. They can throw it to the post to Silva. And they got Oregon State's guards and Oklahoma State's guards in foul trouble. Excuse me, like Cunningham was playing with three for a lot of the game. Avery Anderson had to sit large portions of the second half with four fouls. There was a ton of whistles in this game in general, but they attacked Oklahoma State's guards and really didn't leave Cade Cunningham with much help at all. And that was the biggest thing to me because that allowed their guards to take advantage. I love Ethan Thompson. I love the way this kid's playing and he can shoot it off the dribble. Same with Jared Lucas because he's been awesome so far. So I think this game against Loyola Chicago, it, we'll get to it a little later. It's a six-and-a-half-point spread right now, but that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, you talked about, or just in general, we all kind of sharpied, right, in Oklahoma State, Illinois, Sweet 16 matchup. You know, talk about how unfair it was for both teams to have to play that early, and in typical Mark fashion, we're going to have a Loyola Chicago-Oregon State matchup there. You talked about Ethan Thompson, 26 points in this game, and the way that Oregon State was uh, able to make Cade Cunningham uncomfortable, you know, six for 20 from the field, and when you're able to shut him down like that, uh, super inefficient, it's going to help you in a lot of ways, so I give a ton of credit to Oregon State, and I feel like it's kind of proof, Jackson, that, like, being hot at the right time can really just, you know, sail you into this tournament. Obviously, they're projected to finish last in the Pac-12, you know, they needed the auto bid to even get in. And now in their first ever tournament, they're going to the Sweet 16. So great job there. And I think, you know, we'll talk about the game later on, but it should be a good one between Oregon State and Loyola Chicago. Yeah, that's the top part of the bracket. And the bottom was just as chaotic, too, to be quite honest with you. I mean, 
How about the Orange in Syracuse? You just know that the zone is always going to be a problem in March. And I just criminally pick against Syracuse every single year, and I always regret it. But um, that might be my hatred for the Orange personally. But you got to give them credit. I mean, Buddy Beheim's arguably been the star of the tournament so far with the way he's been able to shoot the ball for the perimeter. They steamrolled a really, really good San Diego State team, which really had no answer for that 2-3 zone. And then West Virginia, it, it was a close game towards the end. Um, the Mountaineers seemed to figure out the zone a little bit. Sean McNeil was lighting it up from downtown. That kid is an insane shooter. But I think Cuse could go to the Final Four out of this region personally. Just the way they're built, they have shooters that are playing really well. Joe Girard got hot against West Virginia. And, and like, I, I was a big fan of West Virginia. Like, I don't think they can stop a lot of teams, but – I thought their scoring punch was actually built to beat uh, Syracuse in that zone because they have so many guys who can shoot the ball from the perimeter and they have a guy who they can get it to in the high post, but they looked lost because every time they took a mid-range jumper, it it seemed like no one had any answer for it um, for West Virginia. And they didn't stretch the floor early. They got into a hole and they really weren't able to dig out of it. They eventually took the lead at one point in the second half, but that was very short-lived. So impressive result by Syracuse. And then on the bottom half as well, I mean, what a game that was between Houston and Rutgers. It was ugly from start to finish, and I'm still trying to figure out how Rutgers didn't win this game. They were up 10 with about five minutes left, it felt like, and somehow Houston holds on in a game where they were miserable on the offensive end, but – they continue to crash the glass. Uh, even with the injuries to Deshaun Giroux, he continued to play through a ton of pain. And that kid is an absolute freaking warrior, man. And Quentin Grimes put the team on his back late. They get a putback and one from Tremont Mark. Uh, I still have no idea how they won this game. But the, the bottom half of this region has been just as chaotic as the top half, to be quite honest with you. And I, I think this Houston-Cuse matchup is going to be interesting. But what did you take away from the opening weekend on this side of the bracket? Yeah, um, one of the number one takeaways I had was just, like, don't bet against the 2-3 zone. You know, you talked <laughs> about it, obviously. It made I, – I was able in the second game to get some back from the uh, San Diego State loss, but I thought Syracuse showed a lot there. And you talked about you could see him in the Final Four. I could totally see it because you look at this Houston-Rutgers game, and if, if Rutgers is able to hold on to that nine-point lead with five minutes, we'd have, I believe, the highest seeded ever – uh, Sweet 16 in this region yeah. with, you know, double digits everywhere in Louisville, Chicago. But mm-hmm. I think when you also look at Houston, you know, their path to the Final Four seed-wise is going to be really favorable. Um, I believe you had them in your Final Four, correct? I do. Yeah. So it does look for them good on that side. But I think this Syracuse, it's going to be a tough task for them. We'll see how they can go against the zone. And they were very lucky to escape Rutgers. Mm-hmm. I want to give credit to Steve Pickle, obviously, their first tournament in, I think, 30 years. So, uh, you know, tough loss for Rutgers. I hope they'll be back. But, yeah, this region, the Midwest region, it didn't disappoint. Um, We talked about, I think, last show how we thought this was the most stacked region and the teams at the bottom were able to make a ton of noise. So I want to give credit to everyone there. And, yeah, it was just chaotic a few days. Yeah, I I mean, if I'm Rutgers, I'm giving Steve Peichel a lifetime contract personally. Like uh, the way he's been able to rebuild that program and have them – on the brink of a sweet 16 is pretty incredible, but that Cuse Houston matchup is fascinating to me. And we'll get into that later, but let's move over to the West region 
before we go any further. And interesting region on one half, um, given, like we talked about, the Pac-12 just continues to excel in this tournament. We'll get to Gonzaga and we'll get to Creighton advancing, but uh, I'm not too surprised by the bottom half of this this bracket, Ryan. Um, I th- was a big believer that Iowa wasn't going to get to the Sweet 16. I thought the winner of VCU Oregon was going to get there. Sucks we didn't get to see Bones Highland in the tournament um, yeah. with VCU, unfortunately, having to bow out due to COVID issues. But that Oregon uh, performance against Iowa was, was really impressive. And just as impressive was the stomping that USC put on Kansas as well, which the, the Mobley brothers dominated in the first half. They couldn't miss from three. And Kansas just had no answer offensively. I can't believe I bought into them uh, to go to the Elite Eight. They've been dealing with COVID issues, but that had really nothing to do, in my opinion, with what transpired on Monday night. So the, the, the Conference of Champions excelling, and the Ducks, even though they were able to avoid VCU in the first round by no contest, yeah, you have to be impressed with the performance over Iowa. 95 points. I don't care how bad Iowa's defense is. That, that's nothing to sneeze about. They're clicking at the right time. Chris Duarte was awesome. Omarui made plays down low. Will Richardson, I think, has been the huge X factor for them. And for USC, like, Evan Mobley can carry this team to another round. I don't think anyone's getting past Gonzaga. I think we're all on board there. But if there's a team to do it right now, it very may well be the winner of Oregon and USC. Yeah, I feel like this is the only part in the entire bracket. We can we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit. Um, we, we were all out on Iowa, right? You know, we talked about it. Yeah. Defense. We put UVA in upset alert versus Ohio. Look what happened there. And Kansas, you know, I had them going far just like you. I think I had them losing Oregon in the Sweet 16. But, yeah, I, as to what you said, I don't think COVID really played a role. They were on the ropes for Eastern Washington a little bit. And the way that USC was able to blow them out, I personally think that was the most impressive performance of the first round because I really didn't see it coming. I know the odds were I think it was kind of a pick for most of the day. So clearly it was going to be, you know, they thought it would be close, but 85 to 51, you know, Kansas shoots 29% from the field, and it was never close. They were speaking mm-hmm. from start to finish. You talked about the Mosley brothers. Isaiah Mobley had 17 and 8. They shot 61% from three. And I do agree with you. I think that Oregon-USC game, you know, we'll preview it later, but I personally think that could be the game of the Sweet 16 in terms of the back and forth and just, you know, the Pac-12 is a giant right now. Yeah. And that's a matchup between two of the best. But, yeah, um, you know, going from this region, I do think, um, you know, Iowa, a lot of people were in on. Obviously, we weren't. But, uh, yeah, I think overall, you know, we expect Gonzaga to get to the Final Four. We talked about how we think it's a cakewalk. I don't know about cakewalk now because of the way that, these teams look on the other side, but I do think there really are no excuses for Gonzaga to get to the final four. I I agree. And let's shift to that part of the bracket because I think no one's surprised that Ohio took down Virginia. Uh, They've just been dealing with so much COVID problems and you got to love Jason Preston with the way he was able to play uh, this past weekend and shout out to him for what he's done. A guy who was blogging about, the Detroit Pistons turning into a college basketball player. I mean, he's literally, he was one of us, like he was one of us. And now he's, he's going out and winning tournament games against future NBA players. But I I was impressed by Creighton. I I thought they beat a really good uh, UC Santa Barbara team by one. They were able to hold on and and then they pretty much dominated start to finish against Ohio. And I, I said on the podcast last week that I thought Creighton would be the toughest matchup 
for Gonzaga in this region because they can play at the pace Gonzaga plays at and excel at it. Um, so they can, they're the one team I think that they're not going to beat Gonzaga at their own game, but I think that they can hang with Gonzaga playing at that pace, which not a lot of teams can do. And I don't even think USC or Oregon could do despite the athletes they have, but they can run and gun. If Creighton's hitting threes, this could be a tough matchup for Gonzaga. And the spread says it all about what Vegas thinks about it. It's a 13 and a half point spread, but um, Marcus Sigurowski playing his best basketball right now. They have shooters all over the floor and they love to run. I love Denzel Mahoney. Christian Bishop is an X factor for me in that game. And we'll talk about it a little later, but I really like the way he's been playing, especially over these past couple weeks going into the Big East tournament. They got dominated in the championship game against Georgetown. And I, I like the way Greg McDermott's team has responded in the face of adversity right now. So I, I think they deserve a lot of credit. And to me, the Gonzaga Oklahoma game, if you weren't sold on it now, I think Drew Timmy's the ba- the best player on Gonzaga. And I, I said that coming into the tournament, I actually picked him to be my most outstanding player in this entire tournament. And I mean, he was the X factor down the stretch of that game. And I mean, Oklahoma gave them, a run for their money. I mean, that game was never in doubt. Let's just be completely honest, but they applied game pressure against Gonzaga. Austin Reeves had an awesome performance, but every time Oklahoma seemed like they would have a chance to get this to a two or three possession game, Drew Timmy was the answer every single time. And he's the guy that they want to feed. It's not Jalen Suggs. It's not Corey Kispert. It's Drew Timmy for me personally. And I think that was shown this past weekend. Yeah, they go down eight early to Oklahoma, and you don't really worry, but, you know, you, you do stand up in your chair a little bit. Um, and the offensive firepower is just so much. And, you know, Reeves had a great game for Oklahoma, as you brought up. He just couldn't do it alone. Timmy, obviously, you just talked about. And Suggs and Kittsburgh were still able, still able to get 16-plus. So I look at Gonzaga, and I just think that the scoring will be too much for Creighton. You talked about their win over the Gauchos, and they really needed to squeeze – by the Gauchos, they needed Christian Bishop, who going in, I think, was a 57% free throw shooter, to shoot 100%. Uh, he hits two free throws with 16 seconds left, and they narrowly escaped them. But I was really impressed with their win over in Ohio. I thought Ohio could give them a run for their money. You know, I love the way they played against UVA. But Zigorowski, he had 20. They shoot 43% from three. And I do think it's interesting, but the fact that the spread is 13 and a half, I think, tells you what you need to know. I don't expect them to be able to keep up. And something I thought was really interesting, Jackson, which I don't – I would have never guessed. His first Creighton's uh, Sweet 16 in 47 years, I believe. Yeah. And it feels like – I know. They, they have gone through a lot of adversity. A lot of it they've inflicted on themselves. But yeah. to get to the Sweet 16, to escape USCB, and to beat down on Ohio pretty badly was impressive. And they've had some good teams in the past. I mean, I remember the Doug McDermott team somehow didn't get uh, to the – Sweet 16, and like you said, first time in 47 years that's happened. So impressive from the Blue Jays. We'll preview that matchup a little later. Let's go to the South because the story of the tournament right now, we've talked about a lot of storylines, but none are bigger than Oral Roberts right now. The second-ever 15 seed to get to the Sweet 16. They beat Ohio State, who, if you listen to me, I thought they were frauds. So um, I'm not surprised that they bowed out early. I'm surprised they lost to Oral Roberts, but – Uh, They bowed out early, and then they ended up topping Florida. But uh, how can you not love a story like this? Um, A 15 seed that wins their conference tournament as a four seed, enters the tournament and beats a team that everyone was high on coming into in Ohio State. I know a ton of people had Ohio State going to the Final Four. Um, 
Amos has been terrific. Obinar has been awesome. This team is dangerous. Like, I, I think they could potentially beat Arkansas. We'll get to that a little later. But uh, this team gets incredible guard play. They shoot the three really well. My only concern is can they defend the athletes of Arkansas going forward? But we're not talking about that right now. They're the best story in college basketball right now. They might be the best story in sports. And to be honest, this is exactly why people love March Madness. Like, I love it for great teams being able to play each other late in the tournament. But for the casual fan, Oral Roberts is why people love March Madness. And it's been an awesome story to watch so far. And both their games have been close and down to the final whistle. They went to overtime against Ohio State. They were trailing Florida by a decent amount late in the second half, and they were able to come back and beat them. So uh, you got to love an underdog story, and there's none better in this tournament right now than Oral Roberts. Yeah, you talked about people who had him in the Final Four. I'll, I'll put my hand up. I, um, I guess the one positive was, you know, I had no faith in my bracket. I think it was only a few hours into the day because that was the first huge upset of the day. Shock with Oral Roberts and Ohio State, not to just rip them because I know that, you know, some awful things have came out with, uh, you know, some threats to some of their players, but they shot five for 23 from the three, 16 turnovers. They played really sloppy and they had their chance to put it away. Uh, EJ Liddell missed some free throws late. Dwayne Washington, you know, I talked about how he could be a star of this tournament. He had his moment. He had a wide open three at the end of overtime. He couldn't connect. And so, you know, as much as I want to prop up Oral Roberts, um, I am very disappointed in that performance. I love the way they looked against Illinois in the Big Ten tournament. But, you know, in hindsight, how good were those teams? Because now none of them are playing in the real tournament that matters the most. So props to Oral Roberts, too. I thought the win versus Florida was really impressive. I, you know, they were able to come back late. I thought Florida was going to pull away that last 10 minutes. They were up nine or so. Oral Roberts continues to fight. Um, the second ever 15 seed to get to the Sweet 16. And just in general, it's what March is all about. It's stories like this that you don't see in any other sports where a team like Oral Roberts, who many had never heard of, is now one of the last 16 teams competing for a national championship. Certainly is the best story. And I think maybe the most important storyline, however, from this tournament, um, the the Texas Tech-Arkansas game was terrific. Uh, That game went down and stretched somehow. Texas Tech isn't moving on. I mean, they had so many good looks down the stretch, missing front ends of one-on-ones. TJ Shannon had a layup to take the lead late, which he missed. And then they miss a wide-open layup at the end from Edwards as well. So they had their chances to close out that game and couldn't do so. Nova's a good story after losing Colin Gillespie. They're back in the Sweet 16. Jay Wright just continues to do it. North Texas beating Purdue, that was impressive. And over time, they really took away Trevion Williams. But the story for me right now is Baylor is back, and they are their old selves. And I didn't think that um, we should be really all that concerned about them in general because I figured that, listen, you have two tough games against the Big 12, the class of the Big 12, that is losing to a hot team on the road in Kansas and a team that was playing really well in the tournament in Oklahoma State. but they're back. And I think they're the clear favorites right now to go not only win the South, but go to the national championship game. And there are a ton of storylines to focus on. Jared Butler, I thought played awesome in the first two games. Davion Mitchell, I think is probably the best defender in the country right now with his ability to guard and create havoc um, defensively. But I I think the overall storyline is the balance of Baylor right now, because Adam Flagler 
looks like his old self off the bench being able to shoot the ball. They they rolled Wisconsin and, and give the Badgers credit because they battled. They were able to got it to about a seven-point game late, but th- this game was Baylor from start to finish, and th- they get a Nova team that I think could potentially be tough with their shooters, but uh, with the way Baylor's playing, the way their guards have really stepped up, Macy Oteague has been awesome. This looks like the team that we all tagged to go to the national championship uh, back in January and December. So I- I'm happy to see that, especially as a person that has a future in on Baylor. I picked them to go to the national championship game. And just I think it's good for the sport in general to have Baylor playing their best basketball right now. Yeah, this was one of those where, like, they come back from COVID and they just didn't look the same. So I think a lot of people are like, you know, it's the COVID thing. It has messed up other teams and other sports. We've seen it all over the place. But this game versus Wisconsin was just a reminder how good they are. And the two-way win was so impressive for me. You know, they shoot 47% from three. They were just bearing Wisconsin. I mean, it was three after three. And Wisconsin did battle. I'll give them credit. I think they cut it to single digits a few times. But they were not able to keep up with Baylor. And he talked about Davion Mitchell's defense. They forced 14 turnovers. Um, I think they're all the way back. This is the best they've looked since pre-COVID by far, and maybe even all year. And it's the perfect time for it. And if I had a mulligan, if I was able to redo this, you know, this region, I would, I would put Baylor all the way to win the South. Um, you know, some of the, there's some of those second chance brackets. I've done some, I have Baylor. They just look so good right now in the way that the region's, went out with Ohio State going down. Arkansas will probably be their matchup for a chance at the Final Four, and I like their chances there. So just a great job by Baylor, and they definitely look all the way back. They certainly are, and we'll get into that matchup with Nova a little later, but let's move on to our final region, the East, which is the chalkiest of the four regions, although there were upsets here. I mean, Abilene Christian taking down Texas. I know a ton of people – uh, had Texas going far to the Final Four. I, I wasn't entirely sold, sold on Shaka Smart, personally, and this Texas team with the way they've been playing. Abilene Christian was a tough matchup for them. They really defend. They can shoot the three, and they were somehow able to take them down. They probably got away with a foul late in the game, which you hate to see games end like that. But how about a 58% foul shooter making two free throws to basically keep their season alive and, and beat a top three seed in the tournament. That's pretty awesome. But I think my biggest takeaway is, is it's honestly similar to my take about Baylor. And I, I think Michigan's back too, personally. That That's my biggest takeaway so far because that's a team that I think a lot of people were taking LSU or St. Bonaventure to beat them. And it ended up being LSU. LSU goes up big early. Cameron Thomas has an awesome game, but Michigan looks back to me, too, because they lost a few games down the stretch, lost in the Big Ten tournament to Ohio State, but they're the lone Big Ten team remaining right now. I mean, there were four that made the round of 32, and Illinois, Rutgers, and Maryland all go down in addition to Iowa, So, and and Wisconsin, excuse me. So there were six teams to make the Big Ten, out of the Big Ten to make the round of 32. One and five they go, and – I think Michigan looks like the favorites in this region again. And it's hard to say, especially after the performance Bama put on my Terps uh, in the round of 32, but they look like back to their old selves. They could be getting Isaiah Livers back before this matchup with Florida State. And they have found other ways to win. And I think that's the most important thing. Eli Brooks is playing his butt off recently. They've been able to feed the post in honor Dickinson, who has been a willing passer out of the post. And I think that's the biggest reason they were able to beat 
LSU. And then you already know about Franz Wagner and Mike Smith. So I love the way that Juwan Howard's team has responded in this tournament thus far. I love this matchup against Florida State. I think it's probably going to be the, maybe the game of the tournament potentially um, between these two. But I think my biggest takeaway so far is that Michigan looks like a team that could easily get back to the Final Four. And they look like a team that's playing as well as they were when they were a one-loss team prior to that COVID pause. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily expecting them to lose, you know, and get out of the first weekend. I did say, I think last show, I could certainly see a world where they do. And that LSU game, they were really tested. Uh, They did not have an easy go of it. LSU, Cam Thomas, you know, great performance from them. They stepped up and they were able to close it out down the stretch though. And I think you have to give them a ton of credit. You mentioned Eli Brooks, 21 from him. You need him playing his best basketball, especially with livers out. And you talked about if livers is able to come back. And the farther this Michigan team gets, you know, the more likely that looks. Um, I'm not sure exactly if we'll be back, and I think that is a huge thing. But Michigan, you know, I was really impressed with the win over LSU. I thought LSU had a chance to stun them. They get 26 points off the bench. LSU only gets two. So I think that's where you really capitalize if you're Michigan. And I don't know if I'm all the way back in on them because of the injury. I do, you know, let's, I, I, for me, I want to wait till after the Florida State game because I Fair do enough. think you know, we talked about how this is the chalkiest region. That's the only chalk matchup in the entire bracket, I believe, that in the Sweet 16, mm-hmm. the one versus the four. And the way Florida State was able to dominate a Colorado team who shot short shot out of the building. Just want to praise myself a little bit here. I did give out Colorado minus four and a half. So True. if you rode that, you did cash. But Florida State was able to put an end to their season. So I do think that's a great matchup. But right now I look at Alabama, and even though I do have Florida State to make the Final Four, the way that Alabama was able to handle, you know, your team up there and just the way they looked overall, you know, Rick Pitino had them on the ropes in the first half. I was pulling for Iona. They were able to pull away from them late, never really had to play in the round of 32. And uh, Mark Turgeon, I believe, called fifth one seed. So I think this is, you know, an Alabama team that's stacked right now. They had five guys in double digits. And I do want to see, I think, you know, Maryland or sorry, Michigan, Florida State is going to be a war. And I think Alabama will be waiting for them in the Elite Eight. I was blown away by Bama, too, against Maryland. I mean, yeah. I, I they shot the ball on like any team I've seen in college this year. And and, and that says a lot because I, I've. I'm very high on Baylor in the way they shoot the ball. I mean, they shoot the three better than anyone in the country. And that performance against Maryland was one of the best I've seen this year. And I was actually pretty impressed by the way they were able to beat Iona because they didn't shoot the ball well. John Petty had probably his worst game of his career against Iona. They were in foul trouble, and they were still able to find a way to win. And for me, that was probably the most impressive part of that whole thing. And I remember tweeting this out, like, Petty stunk. They couldn't hit a three to save their lives, and they still ended up winning by 13. And to me, that's impressive. They are super athletic. Jaden Shackelford is maybe the most underrated scorer in the country with the way he shoots the ball. He tore apart Maryland. Petty did as well. And Herb Jones in foul trouble the entire time against Maryland, who's probably their best player, SEC player of the year, defensive player of the year in that conference. And they were up 30 in the second half. And, uh, man, uh, what a performance by Bama. I, I think Bama, Michigan is pretty, could potentially be one of the best matchups we see this entire season. Um, 
other than maybe Gonzaga Baylor in the national championship. But uh, you got to give credit to Mick Cronin and UCLA too. I mean, they went to overtime in the first four. They took down a good BYU team, and then they took care of business against Abilene Christian. I, I think that could be an interesting matchup for Bama too because Mick Cronin teams play defense. They're always going to be tough no matter – who you have on the floor for Mick Cronin can take five guys off the street and they will make it a tough game. I'm a true believer in that and good for him to get to the sweet 16, but they got a tough task ahead. Nate Oates is an awesome coach. I love the way this team plays defense and people don't talk about Bama enough in that regard because they're a top three defensive team in the country. They are super athletic. They can defend the perimeter. They can sag in the post inside and they just got maybe their second best defender back in Josh Primo, the freshman um, who played against Maryland and can really shoot it. So the, the rest of this region is going to be fascinating to watch play out. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but let's go to our previews um, for these matchups. And we'll start with the Saturday games and we'll open up in the Midwest because uh, there, like we talked about, there are some non chalky matchups in here for sure. But I think some good ones as well. Loyal Chicago, Oregon state, Oregon state, maybe the hottest team in the nation, Loyal Chicago, uh, just t- coming off a win against Illinois. I, I think, Loyal Chicago has proved themselves a top 15 team in the country. They're minus six and a half in this one. I think this is where the road comes to an end for Oregon State personally. As much as the Conference of Champions has gone on a really good run, I think that Loyal Chicago's defense and their discipline is going to be too much. I, I could see them covering this game. I think it will be close. But um, honestly, I think Loyal Chicago might be my favorites to come out of this region right now. Even with Houston still being there, even with the way Syracuse has played, Loyal Chicago looks like the best team to me in this region right now. And that's coming from someone who took Houston to go to the final four. No, I, you know, I hate to just agree with you here, but I completely do. I think the, the, you know, the run for Oregon state, great run does come to an end here. I think just the way that Loyal Chicago looked for Illinois, I can't get it out of my head because I do think it was the most impressive performance, maybe outside of USC, Kansas. And, you know, Houston, we talked about after this game, I do agree that, you know, the way Houston looks is not, you know, they needed a miracle to beat Rutgers. They needed Ron Harper Jr. to miss a shot at the buzzer. So mm-hmm. at six and a half here, I do like that because I just think their defense will be too much for Oregon State. And I think Crutwig just provides too much firepower. So I do like Coral Chicago as well. So we'll see how that matchup plays out. I think the fun one for me is is Houston-Syracuse. Um, Houston opens up at minus six, but – I actually think that this is a bad matchup for Syracuse personally because in the 2-3 zone, the biggest trouble you're going to have is rebounding. And Houston is the best offensive rebounding team in the entire country. And I think they're going to shoot the ball better than they did against Rutgers. I think the biggest thing to remember about Houston right now and that went over Rutgers is that they couldn't get anything to go right against Rutgers. I mean, defensively, Rutgers stymied them. Um, Houston couldn't hit a shot, especially in the second half, to save their lives. Dejan Jarrell was struggling. Marcus Sasser had his worst game of the year, and they still found a way to beat a really good Rutgers team. I think the zones are going to be a problem because I like Houston's ability to shoot the three. They're shooting nearly 36% on the year, um, which you need against the zone, and you need to be able to offensive rebound. And for me, that's the difference maker because they will be able to take advantage of this zone from a rebounding perspective. They crashed the boards. They won the game against Rutgers because of their ability to rebound the ball on the offensive end. So I, I think this is a tough matchup for Syracuse. I could see Cuse winning this game with their ability to shoot the ball, but I think the perimeter defense of Houston 
is going to be too much because I think they're going to be able to find a way to limit Buddy Beheim, Joe Girard. I think they're going to have to do a lot of their scoring on the interior and drive the ball to the basket, which this Syracuse team just hasn't done a ton of this year. I think Marek Dolzhai is probably the most important player for Cuse in this matchup, but I don't see Syracuse being able to get past Houston. But again, the zone has proven me wrong in the past. Hmm. Yeah, I think the formula here, the way that they've won the first two games was hold them to 40% from the field, which the zone has helped them do. And the three ball is huge. They've hit 29 in the first two games. They're going to have to hit another 15, 16 to beat Houston. I think really the X factor is Joe Girard because I feel like the way Buddy Beheim's playing is he's just going to have a great game. I'm kind of slotting him for a monster game the way he's been playing this tournament. And Girard, even though he wasn't able to score in the second half, I think he hit four threes in the first half. And you're going to need him to do that again because, you know, he has been up and down. And you're going to need to shoot the three ball to beat Houston. So I think it really comes down to him. I don't know. I feel like this might be where Syracuse run ends as well. I think Houston will pick it up and they won't let it get to another Rutgers situation because if they, you know, if they go down the way they did to Rutgers, I think Syracuse is certainly the team that could close it out. So I do like Syracuse. I think it'll be close. It's six and a half, I believe. I will probably be taking Syracuse for the spread, but it's a lot of points, so I do like Houston. Yeah, my, my, my one stat here for Cuse on offense is that Houston is 12th in the nation defending the three. Um, so their life's going to be difficult from the perimeter, and, and that's something that they've relied on offensively, especially with Buddy Bayheim. So I, I'm going to take Cuse in that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Let's go to the south. Um, Baylor, Nova is a good matchup. Let's talk about Arkansas Oral Roberts first, because I mentioned before I could see Oral Roberts winning this game. Um, they're 11 point dogs right now. I, I, my one worry is, do they have the athletes to defend Arkansas? Because Arkansas loves to run the floor. They love to push the ball in transition and defensively they have been terrific so far in this tournament. But I, I think that Oral Roberts is going to have a chance in this game because they can shoot the three. And, and I think you have to be able to shoot the three to beat Arkansas. And they have the guards to do it. Obinar is, I think, maybe the X factor in this game for Oral Roberts. But I'm taking Arkansas to win because I think you have to. But it, it comes down to for Arkansas is can they stop the three and can they take advantage of their athleticism on the under end of the floor? Moses Moody, um, Smith, Tate, those are the guys that have to take advantage because they're going to have matchups that are favorable on that end of the floor. And I don't think they're going to see a team as athletic as Arkansas, that being Oral Roberts. So for that reason, I'm taking Arkansas. But if Oral Roberts shoots a three the way they've had, I can see this being a very tight game. And I think Oral Roberts is probably going to cover. Yeah, you, talk, you talked about the athletes, and I think that's where this game will get out of hand. You know, I just don't think – I think this is going to be the game where Moses Moody really, you know, goes off because last game – it was Smith leading the way with 20. And I feel like Arkansas is sneaky, very battle-tested so far. You know, that cool game matchup was not easy in the first round. They went down, I think, 10 early. At Texas Tech, obviously, you were very high on them. That game went down to the wire. And I do think, you know, Oral Roberts, they have been out-rebounded by 18 in the first two games. So it hasn't been perfect for them. They've had kind of a miracle last-second shot runs. I don't really like them to keep it close just because I trust the must-bus. I'm all in on the Razorbacks, and I do think they'll get to the Elite Eight. So I'm going to take Arkansas on this one. You know, I don't want to just outright take the spread because I think that's where I can get burned here because Orvop has been so magical, and they've burned me twice already. But I do like Arkansas to advance. I don't think they'll have too much issue 
11 is a lot, though. So, uh, yeah, Arkansas to the Elite Eight. Baylor, Nova, Baylor minus seven right now. I, I like Baylor a lot in this game, and I think this is probably going to be my lock for the week. Um, this is a tough matchup for Nova because if they have Gillespie, it's a little bit of a different story, but th- there's a few numbers that I point to here that are going to be huge factors. Can they take care of the ball, which they do. They're the best team in the nation in taking care of the ball. So that's something that's significant because Baylor forces a ton of turnovers. They get out and run. But to me, I don't think Nova can stop Baylor. Um, They're one of the worst three-point shooting defensive teams in the country um, amongst power five teams, especially they they allow teams to shoot 35% from three and Baylor's over 40% from three this year. So I think Baylor could score 90 points in this game. It wouldn't shock me. Uh, if Nova's going to win this game, they're going to need a heroic performance from Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who has been awesome in this tournament so far. I, like, Moore has played well. Cole Swider was really impressive, especially against North Texas. But it, it comes down to can Jeremiah Robinson Earl dominate this game and can Nova make threes? They're too reliant on the three for me. And for that reason, I like Baylor to steamroll them, especially with the way they've shot the ball lately. But um, the key factors, can they take care of the ball and can they defend the three? I think they'll take care of the ball. Um, but I think they are not able to stop the three of Baylor. They haven't stopped the three all year. So for that reason, I like Baylor and in what could potentially be a blowout. Yeah. Robin Turnell has been their best player. He dropped 18 last game. He might need to double that to keep this game close. Yeah, I'm kind of all in agreement with you here and Villanova. I don't like not to, not to harp on them, but I don't really think they've been battle tested. You know, they beat two mid majors. They beat they get a nice draw in the second round with the North Texas team coming off an emotional win. And I think it just came down to Jay Wright willing this team here. This is a game where I really wish we had Connor Gillespie because I think it would be a classic. I think he's just what they would need for this type of game. Um, so, you know, Baylor minus six and a half, the way they just looked against Wisconsin, the way they're shooting the ball, I think they're just going to outshoot Nova to the point where six and a half isn't even in doubt. So I do like Baylor in this one. Um, I don't know if I'm taking this my lock, like you said, but I think that they just, they're going to, you know, end this run for Jay Wright and that they just, they just don't have the players to match Bella right now. So that's the South region. Let's move over to the West. And this is the Gonzaga Creighton matchup, Oregon USC as well. These are on Sunday. I, we're not going to talk too much about Gonzaga Creighton. I kind of got into it earlier. I think Creighton can match their pace, but Gonzaga is Gonzaga and, um, the spread says it all, 13 and a half. I like Gonzaga. I think they eventually cover, even though I really like this matchup for Creighton because they can play at that pace. But um, I, I think Gonzaga's ability uh, to get the ball inside to Drew Timmy to really play inside out and run in transition is going to be too much for Creighton. USC-Oregon's a fascinating matchup, Brian. And I'll, I'll maybe I'll throw it over to you in a sec. But um, Evan Mobley is the difference for me right now because USC has him and Oregon does not. I love Chris Duarte. He's an All-American. He'd be considered one of the best players in the country, I think, if he wasn't playing so far out West. But as good as this Oregon team looked against Iowa, I'm just not that impressed with Iowa. And I think this USC team beat a Kansas team that was playing some really good basketball lately and their ability to play defense. My question for USC is how much zone will they play because they played a lot of zone against Kansas and they were able to really dominate them. Oregon has better shooters. LJ Figueroa, Chris Duarte, Will Richardson can all step out and shoot it. Eugene Omarui can play in the mid range as well. 
So will USC play zone? I don't know. They're not going to shoot as well as they did against Kansas, but I still like the Trojans in this matchup because of Evan Mobley. Yeah, I don't know if I want to overreact to regular season matchups, but these two teams did play this season. USC beat them in February. Something I do like in this game is the over 139 and a half. Obviously, we saw the offense on display with both teams, Oregon 95, USC 85. But I do think Kansas – or USC, rather, is going to want to keep this kind of lower scoring because Oregon just has so many guys, you know, Duarte, Figueroa, Will Richardson, Omarui. They're just going to bury you. But I do love the Mobley brothers a ton. Um, I'm going to go with Oregon here just because okay. I love the way they're playing. Uh, 12 of 14 since Will Richardson. That healthy. This really is the first time we've seen them at full strength. Duarte had that, I think, finger injury earlier in the year. He had surgery. Um, so I do love Oregon in this one. Um, I know USC just had a really impressive win, but so did Oregon. And so Dana Altman, I'm going to bet on him to win this game. So we got differing opinions there. Let's move down to the East region, Alabama, UCLA, Bama, six and a half point favorites. I think we both like Bama in this game. Um, but I think UCLA could make this tough. So I'll stay away from saying anything specific about spreads there, but I I like Bama. Their defense is going to be too much for UCLA. I don't think they'll be able to score the ball, but credit to Johnny Juzang. He's made life really difficult for everyone he's played so far. I mean, he tore apart Michigan State. He got them back in that game, um, and he's been awesome so far for the Bruins, but I I think Bama's going to be able to take him away. Herb Jones is maybe the best perimeter defender in the country in addition to Davion Mitchell. So I like Bama to win this game. Michigan and Florida State, that's the matchup I want to focus on right now because I think that's probably the best matchup of any Sweet 16. Uh, Tango thus far, Michigan minus two and a half. I I like Michigan right now. I I have Florida State in my bracket, but Michigan has surprised me with the way they've been able to come back and respond. And perhaps I shouldn't be surprised with the way they played all year, but they might be getting Isaiah Livers back, which could be an X factor. I I like Michigan – to win this game, despite the athletes of Florida State. I mean, Scotty Barnes, um, Raekwon Gray, Polite had an awesome game against Colorado. They were really impressive against the Buffaloes because I think that's a really good Colorado team. That was my favorite team out of the Pac-12 this year. And Florida State steamrolled them. And and they got McKinley right in foul trouble. That was definitely part of it. But I I think Michigan's back. I I like them to win this game despite how good Florida State has looked lately. I think it's going to be tight, but – when it comes to the end of this game, I think Michigan wins Isaiah Livers or not, and they may very well be getting Isaiah Livers in this game. Yeah, for me, the big thing I'm looking at this one is the turnover differential because uh, Florida State has a big turnover problem. They allowed 15 versus Colorado. I think they're bottom three in the ACC in turnovers. And Michigan only forced three in the win over LSU. So I think they're going to have to switch that. They're, they're flipping a little bit. They're going to have to win the turnover battle because that really is where you can hit. Florida State. Um, the way Polite's playing right now is great, though. And Florida State just looks locked in. You know, Leonard Hamilton is so locked in. He missed a step getting off the bus, and he and I think he ruptured his <laughs> Achilles. So, Damn. you know, they look really locked in. Uh, you said the spread's two and a half, right? Mm-hmm. So this game is going to be back and forth all the way. You know, I hate to just say Livers dependent because I think if they get him, that's just another threat. That's just another presence. And the way that, you know, that team looks at him I think is huge. So I do want to hold off right now, but if he's not going to play, I'm going to take Florida State. I had them in my final four. I love the way they look versus Colorado. That was a game actually like going into it. 
the way Colorado looked, I was not confident them at all. I thought, oh, man, I'm going to go into the show, and the only team I'm going to have left is Nevada. <laughs> but, you know, they were, able to, they were able to really kick Colorado down. So I do like Florida State the way they're playing. You know, I just – I do think it comes down to Isaiah Livers, as simple as that sounds. No, it, it, I think it's a very fair take because Michigan has been a different team without him on the floor um, since they lost him in the Big Ten tournament. And I, I, it was a tough test against LSU. I'm, I'm not despairing yeah. that at all. I, I wonder, too, how this matchup down low with Hunter Dickinson goes um, for Florida State. Are they able to contain him? Will they double him, I think, is a big question, too, because we know this Florida State team can play um, – with their athletes on the floor, but they can also go big. And that's one of the things I'll be watching for sure. I mean, they can go with Kaprovica, um down low, the seven, one sophomore who they played a lot. He started 19 games. He's played almost half the minutes this year. I think he's probably gonna have to up that this game, but um, MJ Walker is the biggest X factor for me for Florida state. And that's very simple to say because they're leading sore, but when he's been efficient this year, Florida state has not lost many games. So that's my X factor there. Let's get into our best bets. Going forward, Ryan, I'll start with you. I have I have a couple. Um, I have one from each day, and I also have a bit of a I have a future, um, going forward. But I want to see what, what you have first because you were the better gambler than me this past weekend. So uh, take it away. Yeah, I did have a nice weekend there. It was you know some nice wins there. But you got to stay hot in the gambling game. So what I did last week means nothing. I talked exactly. about the over earlier in Oregon USC, and it's one I really like just because I think this game is going to come down to the wire. And the way Oregon is scoring on offense, I feel like USC is going to have to match them. So 139 and a half, um, you know, they had a combined 170 last time. So I really like that to go over. That's my first pick. My second pick, I think I'm going to go Arkansas minus 11. Uh, traditionally, obviously, okay. we don't have a sample size with 15 seeds in the in the uh, Sweet 16. The one time we did, it was Florida Gulf Coast, Florida. Um, it was, I think, a, it was a double-digit game. But I just think Arkansas has too many athletes for Oral Roberts. I think the story has to end here. And I like them to kind of pull away late the way they're able to do versus Colgate, where that was a big spread too. It was in question all throughout. They were able to pull away late. So give me Arkansas minus 11. Give me the over in USC Oregon as my two picks. I like those. Um, I'm going with two spreads. I, I think I mentioned it before, but Baylor minus seven, this feels like an awesome matchup for them just because I don't think Nova can stop the three and they're too reliant on the three, which I don't, I think plays poorly for them because Baylor is their strength is being able to defend the outside because of their guards, because of the way they um, are able to stretch out in the perimeter. I mean, Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell are awesome defensively and they play small. So they're able to get out to shooters switch ball screens, really attack Nova in a lot of ways where I don't think they're going to be able to do it. And also they can't stop the three. So I think seven points is too light for this matchup. I think Baylor wins this by double digits and they keep rolling on to the Elite Eight. And then Michigan minus two and a half is my other pick because I just really like the way they have played recently. And this is coming from someone who has Florida State to beat them because I didn't think Michigan State was going to come out and respond like this, and they did against LSU and as good as Florida State's been playing lately I think that Michigan is going to get Isaiah Livers back I'm a believer in that and I think if you can get the two and a half now I'm sticking with that and, and my future right now it, it's a bit of a gamble um at low odds per se but Loyola Chicago plus 140 to get to the final four I think is a really good value play um Houston's minus 120 right now but 
I think that Loyola Chicago matches up really well against Houston, potentially, if they have to end up playing them. And I also like the way they match up against Syracuse, and I think they get past Oregon State. So I think plus 140 is pretty good value there. Um, I might not take it considering I have Houston to go to the final four in pretty much every bracket I have. I mean, I only really have one bracket, but I should say in all the pools I'm in. But um, I, I like that value on Loyola Chicago plus 140. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully I do a little better than last week. My best pick was UNC minus one and a half. And, um, <laughs> well, Wisconsin won that game by a million. So uh, it happens, you know, but my, our Bama future is still alive uh, to go to the final four if you had that. So there was good value there, but we'll see what happens. So it should be a fun weekend, of course. We hope you enjoy the games. We hope you enjoy the show. And once again, from Ryan Greg, Greg Ware, Jackson Heil, this has been the 40 Minutes in Hell podcast. We're going to have a final four wow. by the next time we have a show, and that's awesome to hear. Disappointing knowing that the college basketball season is coming to an end, but again, this is what we do it for. So from Ryan, Greg Ware, Jackson Isle, this has been the 40 Minutes of Hell podcast and has been brought to you by WFUV Sports.